0: Hi everybody, you're listening to the Rope Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show.
1: This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now.
0: This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk. We strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to our episode 0 on safety and consent in rope before attempting it. Find it at the top of our Life page, Rope Podcast.
1: Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by you, our lovely listeners. Thank you so much for our patrons who make this podcast possible by supporting some of the costs.
1: If you'd like to help us make more Rope Podcast episodes, please go to ropepodcast.com and visit our Patreon.
0: This episode continues our great conversation with Tifereth. The first part can be found in the episode directly before this one, and we recommend listening to that if you haven't already, before you dig into this one. We hope you enjoy the discussion as much as we did.
1: Tiff, speaking of performances, you have a very distinctive style in your rope handling as a rigger, which has a lot of grace and fluidity and definitely is one of my favorites in everything I've seen in the world so far.
0: Oh, now
2: you make me blush.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, luckily this is radio, so no no (laughs) one will see you blush. Um, Is it something you developed with intent, or is just naturally the way interacting with rope came to you as a top?
2: (laughs) So I'm going to credit some of it to... My mother was a ballet dancer with uh, Canada's National Ballet, and I grew up watching her... um, (sighs) Pirouette around the kitchen to the Lamez soundtrack. Did not realize what a dep- depressing soundtrack that was until <laughs> in my twenties I finally got to saw the sh- I finally got to see the show and it was like, oh my God. That was very sad. <laughs> um, so some of that is, you know, my mother. Um and some of that has been deliberately deliberately curated with me going and being like, Mom, I have a show and my hands keep looking ugly. How do I move them better? <laughs> mm. um, some of it is conscious effort and some of it is that um speed and efficiency which is something that again i can bang on about for hours because i firmly believe that speed is at the core of safety if you can do it fast you can do it safely most things are tolerable if you can get it on and off in five seconds um but speed and efficiency come with fluidity it is difficult to be smooth. It is difficult to run the rope quickly enough to do, you know, some of the sketchier stuff that I do in the air without a measure of grace behind it. Because, you know, if you're sort of scrabbling around with the rope, if your rope is jamming, if you're sort of, you know, ham fisting your way through it, um, like bull in a China shop style, um, you're going to move the rope slower. Mm -hmm. You know, rope is a graceful thing. It has, it, it has life to it. And, you know, when you, when you're trying to basically rough house it into submission, um, you, you lose some of what makes it beautiful to watch and you know, it's slow and I love tying fast. That so makes sense. Yeah.
1: do yeah. you do any particular practice or drills in order to develop and maintain your fluidity and your speed with rope?
2: Uh, good timing on asking that one because I've had to redo them all after two years. My fingers feel like sausages. Feels like trying to tie with a deli counter. It's terrible. Um, it's coming back though, and I think part of it, part of it is something that that, that person who's on my marriage certificate, um, who is, you know, no longer really welcome in the scene, had me do, which is drilling the little things. So they had me take a carabiner and clip and unclip it in one smooth motion each on off on off for like 20 minutes hmm. and every couple of days you know go back and just on off on off on off um things like passing rope back and forth um you know smoothing out those catches so that your, you know when your dominant hand is pulling your non-dominant hand is ready to catch the ends and start moving in the next direction that partly comes out of muscle memory. Your hand remembers where the rope's going to be before your brain can even really make a conscious decision. But part of it is just sitting there and running, running, you know, different lengths of rope back and forth behind a stem until, you know, it's smooth and it's even. Um, and then little things like, so I did a show the other week um, for a Chicago-themed event that we hosted. And I had exactly six minutes then 47 seconds to tie two harnesses, get two uplines on, do five transitions and get it all off and bow. That wow. is
1: not a lot of time. The only
2: way, it is not a lot of time. And the only way that that can happen is sitting there and finding every single spare millisecond. So we sat there and we we're like, how can we make this faster? If I have the rope facing down here when I'm pulling it through versus up, which one goes smoother? Is it easier for me to move my hand around Around you, or is it easier for me to move you around me? Mm. What is going to be the smoothest and most effective way to trim off those little fumbly moments that, you know, add seconds to your tying? Um, so yeah, some of it, some of it is, I would say, intuitive. I'm just doing what is naturally the fastest thing, which happens to be a graceful thing. Some of it is very practiced. Um, the little movements, the little catches, carabiners going on and off smoothly and efficiently. Um, and some of it is just sitting down and trying every single way to jam a bite through a loop of rope until yeah. you find the one where the fingering's fastest. Hmm. And I start in my classes, like I teach this from the 101 level. If you are in my 101 class and you're learning a Somerville bowline. You are learning all the fingering to make it the smoothest, fastest, neatest Somerville bowline because it doesn't matter if you're on stage or just tying, you know, your your partner up in bed. Uh, Fluidly applied, quickly finished, confidently, you know, done tie is going to feel better and it's going to look better. So, yeah.
1: That makes a lot of sense in terms of practicing and performing. Do you always use the same type of rope or do you practice with a variety, say some jute, some hand, some nylon? How how does that work for you?
2: Always jute. Um, For me, sorry, uh, if you can hear my cat in the background, he's um, singing the song of his people. He's Uh he's welcome
1: on the podcast as well.
2: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, It's that time of night. We're a cat positive podcast. <laughs> oh, good. Cause he's, he's having a moment. Um, uh, so for me, always jute because of all the available rope, I feel like if you, if I think about it like a dance partner, hemp to me always feels like slinging a, like a, someone who's just sort of a sack of potatoes on the dance floor around, you know, it's got that, that weight. It doesn't give you that little bit of pushback. Um, synthetic. I worry because I like to tie fast. I know it heats up. Mm, um, it really does. And I don't want to, I don't want to risk that. And I don't like how it feels in my hands. Um, I'm very particular about the jute that I use. Um, I like it thin. I like it fast. I like it whippy. Um, and I, I like it because it feels like dancing with someone who's giving you just that little bit of pushback, you know, that little bit mm-hmm. of resistance.
1: That's a lovely analogy. So yeah.
0: And you talked about um, gymnastics being something you've done before and, and you, you just mentioned your mum as a ballet dancer. How how does that background in athletics, figurative arts, figure in your role? Talk to us a bit about that.
2: Um, so I was on the Canadian Taekwondo team for many, many years wow. um, as a junior and as a senior. And then I was on a super competitive roller derby team. Um, so my my background and um, in moving my body in space really informed a lot of my choices as a model. Um, and it informs them now when I'm sort of like puzzling through a sequence or just thinking about the internal mechanics of rope, like I, anytime I'm trying to solve a problem, whether it's, you know, inventing choreography or, um, inventing a tie, it usually starts with me kind of awkwardly flopping around on the floor a little bit. Or maybe being like, okay, so if I'm sort of like, and and I'm sort of like moving my body around, trying to think about where the forces would be, I, I really chalk up spending, you know, my entire childhood, adolescence and early adulthood, having to think about the forces on my body in space.
1: Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. We want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time, and to do that, we need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us and you will gain cool perks like behind the scene photos and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. Go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too.
0: So, uh, you talked about performance being a love of yours, and as Fox said, mm-hmm. we're huge fans. We have an episode on uh, appreciating rope performance, where you are uh, one of the one of your performances key to that episode. Oh, so, thank you. <laughs> um, so, talk to us about how you create a rope performance. Okay, this is going to be a long one
2: because this is I, I I get the I get these sort of like little fixations that I'll obsess over for Go you for know right. roughly three to five years. My current one, um, and I've sort of distilled it down because I am in the middle of creating a three-day-long um, workshop, like masterclass-type thing for performance. Um, the first day of which I will be ideally filming and making available online, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of like the theory day. Um, but for me, the most important thing to remember is that um, a performance is its own entity. It's its own entity. It's not a demonstration, it's not a scene. And I, I try to keep three things in mind when I'm crafting a show, um, intention. So making active choices with the goal of directing the experience of the show for both, both my model and the audience. And ideally this means no spare transitions, no needless movements. Everything that I do on that stage must inform the meaning behind the show. Hmm. I also have to keep in mind consideration of who's watching and how the way that you present yourself and the rope will impact them. So this includes the type of audience and the type of show. So a rope-aware audience at a Shibari showcase or a totally vanilla group that's, you know, hired me on a whim, Uh, a small party with a point in the round where everyone's going to be seated, you know, 360 degrees, Versus a giant stage show with a clear down stage, stage left, stage right. I'm elevated above the crowd. Um, and, you know, I won't do a 30-minute long connective show when I'm one of a dozen folks in the high-energy Chicago-themed show. That's why it was 6 minutes and 47 seconds. It mm. couldn't be longer. It would have been inappropriate. It wouldn't have been considerate. I won't do 20 minutes of brutal, you know, slow-burn torture for a vanilla crowd. Yeah. If I'm a high to interpret a Guillermo del Toro movie, the costumes will be screen accurate and the tone of the show is going to be lighthearted. It's going to reflect the movie. And then lastly, I think about connection. So, with the partner, with the audience, with the music and the space, it is my job as the performer to bring everybody from the front of the room to the back along for the ride. I see this so often where the excitement and the performativity is all dumped on the model. Like, congratulations, it's your job to be interesting. You know, if you are on there tying, you're not a rope dispenser. You are taking up space on that stage and you need to be as engaging as everything else. And that is super key to how I think about shaping my performance before I even touch my ropes. Um, From there, I'll often kind of start with an idea of a shape so like a harness i want to use or like a pose i want to hit and this is always going to be really informed by my partner's superpowers um, you know the things that they are uncommonly amazing at as my goal is always to make them feel successful in a show and i feel like my partner can only do that if they feel like they've done their best and the best way to make someone feel like they've done their best is to show them at their best hmm. Um, if I'm tying with someone that'll i be meeting day of, which happens a lot on tour, um, I'll try to have a chat in advance to discuss kind of happy place ties and poses. So the things that are going to be restful for them and struggle poses. So one of the big ones that I always ask is, are you a front bender or a back bender? You know, is, is bending backwards going to give you that? Ah, oh, this feels so good. I'm so open I'm, or is it like, okay, and we're breathing and we're holding this and the shape is going to end soon. Mm. Um, I'll also creep their social media to see their body in action. And I try to make good judgment calls about where I'm going to start and end the show based on that. And so once I've kind of taken that all in and kind of like what my intention is, who I'm considering for this and how I'm going to think about cultivating that connection with my partner with the shapes, I that's when I start to think about the sequence. So ideally a couple of rehearsals would be great, you know, lab things out, remove unnecessary parts, unnecessary poses, because you know that's how you get to something streamlined, but I want to say 90% of the time that's not possible. Um, although that's changing these days now that I'm the one throwing the shows. Um, but you know, when I'm on tour, most of my choreography is made by drawing stick figures in, um, uh, my little notebook. Thank God I have an art degree. Um, <laughs> and I kind of like, do you remember in the early days of the internet, how there was those, little, there were those little like albino back black sheep, um, stick figure games where you could just sort of make them flop around and it would be like physics the mm-hmm. game. Yeah. It's sort of that in my notebook, um, and lots of weird things, things like lift here, push here, don't die, um, or like uh, for all my bamboo shows, you'll often see um, hot Jesus vibes as a note for um, you know poses, that kind of things. Um, and then this is also how I memorize longer sequences. If I if I write it all out step by step with my little doodle figures, I'll be able to really internalize it so I don't need any rehearsal. It's just like in my head from my notebook. And then only at this point is when I start to think about music. So if I have a ton of time, I might carefully choose some mil- the music and then kind of build the music and the choreography together if there's one song I really want to use. Most of the time I don't have that luxury. Um, so from there, if it's, hey, you land on the Thursday, your show's on Saturday, but you're teaching all day Friday. Um, we need your music tomorrow. Um, I just use music, music that I know inside and out, uh, to exactly the length of my performing slot. This way, no matter what happens, I never use, I never lose my place in the music. Um, and it also means that I can usually make an entirely improvised show look much more choreographed than it is because I pick the tempo that I know I like. Um, and I know where every, Time change, every drop, every song ends. Um, so I can anticipate the song moving towards that and do something that makes it look choreographed. Uh, that's why I tie to so much uh, disco and cheesy 80s tunes because <laughs> that are
1: engraved in your brain.
2: Yep, because if they're engraved in your brain, um, it's just that much easier to tie along to. It's like, you know, karaoke. Yeah. It's much easier to karaoke a song, you know. And then day of, I just check in with myself, um, check my hands in particular, because they can be um, iffy some days. Uh, my equipment, I always check my point. Once you've tied in a few places with sketchy points, you learn the hard way. Um, and then I check in with my model, light and sound checks if they need to happen. If I get to run a dress rehearsal, amazing. Uh, usually I don't. Uh, Otherwise, I mostly just remind myself that no matter what, after a decade of practice, I trust my brain to, if absolutely nothing else, make interesting choices.
0: Okay, um that's yeah. amazing my as a description. Yeah. And we very much <laughs> look forward to
1: taking that class whenever yeah. it's yeah. available.
0: We, we definitely will. Um So that's the kind of performance, that the live performance side or the physical performance. What about rope photos? So you've opened a new studio, photos are part of that. What are the challenges, joys, inspiration for you in rope photos? Um... So red photos isn't like, I don't really
2: identify as a photographer. I, I'm somewhere between, um, eager iPhone user and guy with a camera. Um, and I'm also really messy <laughs> when I'm tying. Uh, um, you know, I tend to leave things, you know, lots of very unesthetic securements, um, lots of dangling ends that aren't, you know, deliberately dangling. It's just that I've been like, Oh, and we're moving on. Um, so thinking like a photographer and, you know, cleaning everything up for the shot, kind of a struggle every time. Um, you know, that said, I do have an arts background. Um, and so I love opportunities to create exciting tableaus. Um, I'm working on something right now with, uh, with Punk Flonk, where... We were tinkering tinkering around with a bamboo tie that ended up looking kind of like a swing, and I was like, "Ooh, you know, Fragonard's the swing." Well, I happened to buy a green screen the other day, and Malabar, the costume rental place, is just down the street. So like next week we could totally go rent costumes, and like you could be on the swing, and then I can be the guy in white with powdered wig because I already own the powdered wig, and I haven't already owned the wig for you because my family owns a dinner theater and I passionately love kitsch and just keep buying weird wigs slash taking them from the dinner theater. And then we could totally just like do that. And I could get my business partner to like take the photos. And then if there's a green screen then I could like remove the original figures and like get our get us into that. And then it would look like dragon arts, the swing, but with bondage. So mm-hmm. that, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I approach photography is usually just my, my weird little brain gets an idea and, and just runs with it. Um, I, I wish I could say like performance. There's you know, you know this very methodical, you know, decade-long trained approach. But it's it's really more just like untethered toddler with a bunch of crayons kind of mm. vibes. Just being like, woo! <laughs> Let's see if this is cool. That's lovely. Um, yeah, so, I also live across the street from a craft store, and that's dangerous. Yes. Oh,
1: yeah, that is a moral <laughs> hazard right there. So, Tiff, tell us a bit about Birdhouse, that uh, that space you've uh, recently opened.
2: Yeah, um, it was born out of everywhere cool in the city, shutting down uh, during COVID or becoming so expensive that my business partner and I couldn't really afford to rent it anymore. Um, and sort of when everyone started getting vaccinated, we started looking for somewhere to collaborate on together, um found a space rented it which was super cool uh the day we opened was the day that uh the illegal club that uh was operating underneath us so the building lied about opened as well and they got their speakers bolted to our floor
1: awesome.
2: um uh so the whole thing was put on pause you know i had a chat with my one sketchy uncle about like you know hey these guys don't seem like they're on up and up, and there's no liquor license, and you're of the family affiliation, I think. Uh, which family affiliation? might these guys be? And I was like, this is the address, and he was like, right. So that's either the Russians or the Iranians. And I was like, I've seen Eastern promises. I'm just gonna get a whole other studio. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna poke uh, the Russian mob. So, um, so we opened a second studio in the same building after negotiating for six weeks with the building for reduced rent on both. Which they did because they knew they were in the wrong. Uh, and so I now have two spaces. And so downstairs is sort of the original idea and the one that my business partner really had a, a hand in aesthetically. It's super inspired by um, sort of somewhere between like v- Victoriana meets Rococo. Um, you know, there's a lot of like toile and chinoiserie and. Very opinionated murals of cranes and the vibe in there is sort of like um, a salon that you might wander into. Um, And that's where the flower pillar is. And also, um, I'm currently not working um, pump organ. I'm trying to teach myself pump organ repair, but, you know, I'm a little little busy.
1: That sounds Um,
2: difficult. I'll get around to it. Yeah, uh, apparently it might just be a tape situation, but I don't want to put the wrong tape on. So I'm just going to leave that to the experts. Mm-hmm. Um And then upstairs, and that space has like 16-foot ceilings, uh, tons of natural light all the way through. That space is really designed for photography. And then upstairs was the compromised space that we came to with the, the building. So that space uh, is set up a little bit more for events. So that's where we tend to run our classes and our jams, um, and that's got three themed rooms, a bar, um, and that's kind of where I've been building in some of the other weirder stuff that we have. So I'm in the middle of, um, building a ton of, uh, Ropunawa's design, uh, the removable Hashira.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So the goal is to have eight so that I can turn the main room into a literal Whoa. forest. Um An army of Hashira. Yeah, that's kind of the plan. I want it to be, I want it to be a playground. Um, you know, if nothing else, um, I, I, I want a space that is, you know, somewhere I can come into every week and be like, wow, I have a whole other idea. Let's, let's do it. Um,
0: and you don't really get that if you're,
2: if you're in a space that you don't have creative control over
1: yeah that makes sense
0: yeah and so that's a space in toronto that people can come to and we'll put the link on the show notes for you
1: yeah and i'm sure any of our listeners who are near toronto or planning on visiting will uh, send you a message tiff
0: i would
2: love to hear from them okay and we're hoping to fly over a few people ourselves
1: Mm.
0: so yeah
1: thank you so much for coming on the podcast today tiff
0: oh no worries thank you so much for having me So that's all from us at the Rope Podcast. Don't
1: forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from and also come friend us on our FedLife page, Rope Podcast.
0: Follow us on Instagram where our name is also Rope
1: Podcast. If you have a question related to rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FedLife or Instagram.
0: If you like this podcast and would enjoy more episodes, find all the ways to support us on our website, RopePodcast.com. In particular, please consider supporting us directly
1: on our Patreon page.
0: Thanks for listening,
1: and have fun tying.